ये है जी न्यूज और आप डीएनए सुन रहे हैं This is Weon, and you're listening to Gravitas Podcast, making sense of the news. What are the conditions of becoming a Catholic priest? Now, the answer is simple. You must be a man, you must have been baptized, and you must take up celibacy. The Catholic Church teaches that a priest should dedicate himself entirely to his vocation. And that he should essentially take the church as his spouse. Now it's been like this for a thousand years. But the tradition is now being challenged. And it is being challenged by no less an individual than the Pope himself. Pope Francis has said that celibacy should in fact be reviewed. He's called it temporary. Now the question of course is, can the reformist Pope do away with this age-old tradition? which binds a priest of the Catholic Church to celibacy. Now listen in to what he had to say. So there is no contradiction for a priest to be able to marry. Celibacy in the Western Church is a temporal prescription. I don't know if it is resolved one way or the other, but it is temporary in this sense. It is not eternal, like priestly ordination, which is forever, whether you like it or not. Whether you leave or not is another matter, but it is forever. Celibacy, on the other hand, is a discipline. But remember, this is not the first time that celibacy has in fact come into question. The tradition is old, but it wasn't always like this. It's hard to believe, but it wasn't always like this, even in the Catholic Church. St. Peter, the first pope, was in fact married. 
Celibacy officially became a requirement for priesthood only in the 11th century, when Pope Gregory VII had issued a decree. And under that, all priests were required to remain celibate. A priest also was expected not to, in fact, ever get married in his life. And it was expected that the bishops would, of course, enforce this vow of celibacy for all the priests. So what made Pope Gregory to, to decide this? Now, it wasn't just devotion towards the church. It was also about money. The clergy without children were more likely to leave their wealth to the church. The decree stuck. Celibacy has been the norm ever since. But there have been exceptions. Now take the Eastern Rite, for example. It takes celibacy as a discipline, not as a doctrine. Now there is a room for a certain level of diversity. The priests, of course, get a choice. Pope Francis has also pointed out that there is a possibility that this tradition, which it's hard to believe, could potentially change within the Catholic Church. No, Cleo. There are married priests in the Catholic Church and the whole Eastern Rite is married, all the Eastern Rite. Here in the Curia, we have one married priest. I saw him today and he has his wife and son. He comes and goes. Now the issue is not new. Pope Francis, of course, has hinted of some changes back in 2020. He said that he was open to the possibility of ordaining married men. Why? Because concerns were mounting. There was a shortage of priests in the Amazon region and church celibacy was being blamed for this. The Latin American bishops have recommended that married men should be allowed to become priests in the Catholic Church. This would of course be a revolutionary change, but despite showing openness, Pope Francis had rejected the landmark proposal. He's proceeded with a lot of caution because it is not easy to overturn a tradition that has been in exercise for a thousand years. Polarization is also an issue that has deepened within the church. Traditionalists have opposed his papacy, and then there was Pope Benedict XVI's indirect intervention. The old Pope had pledged to remain hidden from the world, and yet he remained a quiet critic of Pope Francis. He broke his silence and reaffirmed the value of priestly celibacy. So how did he do that? By co-authoring a bombshell of a book. It was called, From the Depths of Our Hearts, Priesthood, Celibacy, and the crisis of the Catholic Church. Its excerpts were released at an interesting time. It was when Pope Francis was mulling on exceptions to celibacy. Was it Benedict's public attempt to sway Francis' decision, even if it wasn't, it seems to have worked. Pope Benedict is no more, but several other challenges still remain. While Pope Francis has been celebrated by the liberals, he's faced widespread criticism from the conservatives. Now, many see Francis's ideologies as a grave threat to orthodoxy and tradition. The debate over celibacy, of course, continues, and it's not an easy debate within Catholic circles. Let's put it that way. Progressives have said that it is high time that the church recognizes the demands of the devoted. The conservatives have called the idea as a threat, nothing less than a threat to priesthood. Now, Pope Francis's recent statements have rekindled this question. Could the Roman Catholic Church lift this vow of celibacy that is an absolute requirement for a person to become a priest? Will the reformist Pope bring about this landmark change? But most important of all, will Catholics be willing to accept a priest within them was in fact a married man? This is not an easy debate. The Catholic Church has been debating it and will of course hear more on this issue in the days to come.
This is Weon, and you're listening to Gravitas Podcast, making sense of the news. Let's now shift our focus to the Oscars. It's what everyone has been talking about at the moment. Several stories have emerged from India, and it's been an exceptional year for India. Especially the hit Telugu song, Natu Natu, from the film RRR, which has created not just a buzz, but has now created history. It's in fact become the first Indian film song to win an Oscar. But is that even a surprise? Now, from its lyrical composition to high-energy renditions and also the easy-to-learn hook steps. The song had everyone going gaga, but that's not the only winner. Now, India's The Elephant Whisperers has also backed the Best Documentary Short Award. It was another first for the country, directed by Kartiki Gonzalez and produced by Gunit Monga. The heartwarming film captured a deep bond between elephants and humans. Now, as India shines bright at the Oscars, do you see a link between the award-winning masterpieces? So let's actually try and get deeper into this. When we talk of Indian blockbusters, we rarely look beyond Bollywood. We care about the Khans and the Kapoors and also talk about sizzling item numbers whose lyrics don't make sense half the time. Now, I've got nothing against Bollywood, but the industry does get a lot of hype to the point that several other creations simply go unnoticed and underappreciated. But this time round, it is non-Bollywood productions that have finally received their deserved spotlight. And it has served as a reminder to Indians, in fact, everyone, to look at the nooks and crannies and to pay attention to the regional films and to diversify their sources of entertainment. While India was bagging Oscars, there was a particular production house that was making the most of it. I'm talking about Netflix, and it is betting big on India as an entertainment hub for the world, especially seeing China's love-hate relationship with the Western streaming platforms. The Netflix is heavily marketing Indian productions, and it seems to be working out both for Netflix and also for the Indian productions. The RRR drew over 73 million hours of viewing on Netflix in the first month of its release. The Elephant Whisperers was also released on Netflix. And now that it has won an Oscar, its views are bound to skyrocket. And who do you think is going to be reaping the benefit? Now, no prizes for guessing here. Netflix is going to be the obvious winner. Now, as we celebrate India's maiden win, there's actually more to look at it. It seems as if it was a year of first at the Oscars. For the first time since 1961, the Oscars' iconic red carpet was replaced with a champagne one. And Michelle Yeoh also became the first Asian actress ever to win the Best Actress Award. And interestingly, Malala Yousafzai also decided to make a debut at the event. And she walked down the champagne carpet in a custom silver sequined Ralph Lauren dress. Her gown also had what was described as a quasi-hijab attached to it, while her looks attracted a lot of appreciation on social media. My question is this, how much did the designer actually pay Malala to don the gown? The headscarf barely covered her head. The Nobel laureate has mentioned it before. She wears a headscarf more as a cultural symbol and less because of her faith. So what was the designer's actual motive? Was the dress an overplayed symbol of inclusivity? A paid one of that. And designers, of course, bent to public demands. It doesn't take much to anticipate as to what can attract eyeballs on the internet especially when issues of faith are involved, but irrespective of what it may. 
The fact remains that Malala Yousafzai did turn a lot of heads and her presence on the champagne carpet this time round is something that is going to be talked about for a long time to come. So whatever Ralph Lauren's tactic has been, it has clearly worked. Netizens are simply in awe of Malala Yousafzai at the Oscars in a Ralph Lauren dress.